Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the Bucks Radio Network host, Justin Garcia, for back-to-back days. Justin, I mean, I had to send out the emergency text. Frank is, I don't know, he's busy with work or he's angry because uh, there's been a lot of people talking about uh, Rocky Rococo's pizza and he hasn't been able to get any to Texas. I'm not 100% sure, but he's not here. But you are. I'm not sure if you've been back back-to-back days before. This is, uh, this is a big-time effort from you. No, I don't think so. And what what an honor too. And now, uh, I mean, how fitting too that you you send out the uh, the bat signal, if you will, for me to to join you two days in a row. And I flip through the channels and stumble upon the dark night. So it was meant to be. Well, it's actually funny because I did text you, and then uh, you responded pretty quickly, and then I completely ignored your text, and I didn't get back to you for forty five minutes. So here we are. I was watching the end of the uh, Saints and Raiders game. And by the way, I just said Packers fans are just salivating. I'm looking at my timeline and they are just up and about about the Packers right now and potentially beating the Saints on the weekend. Uh, this isn't locked on Packers though, so I, I guess we should keep it Bucks related. I wanted to go in a little bit to what we're seeing with the rest of the NBA playoffs. So first of all, I went through a couple of days, I think after the Bucks were eliminated, where I was just like, you know, I need to just step away from basketball for a little bit. The Bucks have been playing every second day for the last six weeks. There's been practices in between. I'm kind of tired of basketball. I need to uh, get away from this for a little bit. Have you been watching closely? How, how intently are you watching the, the playoffs since the Bucks went out? I kind of did the same thing where, I mean, you and I talked about it too, that it, it, it just like, you know, we talked that last time before – or maybe it was after the series ended about how it felt like the Bucks just needed a day, if not more to just catch their breath from the schedule that we had. And, and we had the same thing where you said it was every other day. And then there was you know, practices and zoom calls on the off days that as soon as the season ended, uh, I needed to take a couple of days, but um, you know, the last few games of that nuggets and Clippers series, I was pretty invested in it and, and watching this heat team too, um, you know, after seeing what they did to the Bucks, I certainly have an interest just to see how far they can go. So I took about, I don't know, maybe two or three days off from it. Um, but the last few I've, I've just been, you know, pretty immersed in, and especially this series between the Heat and the Celtics. So I'm, I'm kind of back in the swing of things now. It's kind of interesting because I, I think we all, I mean, obviously we look at it from a Bucks perspective and I, I looked at that Heat and Celtics series and I, I tried to project what I thought the Bucks' struggles were against Miami. And um, you know, clearly, I've been on the record to say I thought it was playmaking. I thought it was guys that can create their own shot. I thought it was lack of shooting. And I looked at the Celtics and I said, well, okay, they got Jason Tatum. They got Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Campbell Walker. I think that they've got enough playmaking, enough shot creation uh, to, to worry the, the heat. And I had the Celtics in six, and I thought that they would be able to outscore them and figure things out and ways to score against this defense that the Miami Heat were going to throw at them and what they threw at the Bucs. 
I also probably gave Brad Stevens a fair bit of credit for that, thinking that he's a guy that is going to change things up a little bit. We've seen him in previous series. I know, you know, depending on what happens here, he's going to be criticized harshly as all coaches are. But I have to say, my biggest takeaway from this series is that Miami are a damn tough and they are peaking at the right time. This bubble situation just seems to suit them down to the ground. And I, I don't think that we've, uh, we, we spoke about it, obviously, but we never wanted to make excuses for the Bucks for the way that they performed. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, this Miami team were fantastic at home. This actual version of the Heat team has only really just come together. I mean, they came together at the trade deadline, which was a couple of weeks before the season ended. But my goodness, they, uh, they are firing on all cylinders right now. Um, my, uh, and the only person that can validate this is uh, our producer, Aston Rodman, but my, uh, my prediction for the series, believe it or not, was, um, I thought the Heat would win in five mm-hmm. and I just felt like it was, you know, this bubble environment, as you said, just suits Miami so well. And, you know, I get that all the areas that the Bucks struggled with, as you pointed out, well, those are things that the Celtics have. And you think about, you know, what does it, does Boston not have? And it's really just rim protection, but I don't know that that's really too important against Miami, but there's just something about this team where the bubble seems to suit him. Uh, Jimmy Butler's playing like a superstar and like a, a max player, to use that term, Goran Dragic and what he's done throughout this postseason. I mean, as good as Jimmy Butler has been, as good as Bam has been, Goran Dragic might be the most important guy, either him or Jay Crowder, which before the playoffs started, if you would have said, Goran Dragic and Jay Crowder would be the two most important guys to the Heat's success. You would think, well, they may struggle to get past Indiana. Uh, everything has just come together for him. And, you know, we've all known how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is. And uh, to see what he did in the series against the Bucks, but to see him against a guy that, uh, you know, similar to Spo in Brad Stevens and people holding the high regard, up until game three, I mean, he had coached circles around him in this series. So it seems like everything's coming together for Miami. It seems like this is the perfect environment for them. You know, who knows? Maybe it is a big, big boost for Miami to not have to deal with road environments and that everything is just sterile now and neutral court for all teams. Maybe they're the team that has the biggest advantage there of anyone, but they're taking advantage of it. And, you know, they just look incredible to have lost two games. I mean, they basically did what the Bucks did up until losing four in a row to the Raptors last year. Yeah, I think the size and versatility defensively is another thing that stands out for me. We've seen them go to zone a little bit, and this has been highlighted on the broadcast a number of times, but the fact that Spolster is not only happy to play zone and he'll go to a 3-2 zone, but he'll put uh, the, the wings or the forwards on the perimeter. And I think that if you look at a weakness for the Celtics... I uh, think they, they've got guys that can score at the basket. Obviously, Jason Tatum can can put the ball on the floor a little bit, but they are a perimeter-based team. So I think that Spolster has figured out a way that he can hide Duncan Robinson and he can hide Tyler Hero uh, defensively and keep them out on the floor because this is a question mark, certainly for both of those guys, perhaps more so Duncan Robinson as well. It's like, okay, uh, and we saw this at times with the Bucks. They were able to take advantage of him on the defensive end. So how do you keep him out on the floor. This has been something that Spolster's done really well again. I mean, the guy's just a, a genius. And you look at the, what uh, the Raptors did against the Celtics, despite, you know, in my opinion, having far less talent than what the Celtics did, particularly at the top end of their roster, is Siakam struggling a lot. We've seen coaching with Nick Nurse and Eric Spolster come through. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The other thing that's interesting to me, and, and it just made me think about this again in relation to 
Giannis and people that are out there and they want to say, well, he's not a winning player and he hasn't done it in the playoffs. I've spoken about this a couple of times. But we saw the shot from Anthony Davis to beat uh, the Nuggets. I mean, that series would have been alive if you could get it to uh, 1-1. Now it feels like it's completely over with that one uh, Anthony Davis three. But it was all Anthony Davis down the stretch. He did everything. And LeBron had a couple of turnovers. He wasn't at his best late. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Airballed with three as well. So Anthony Davis carried the Lakers to that win. And it just reminded me of the way that the, the best players in the game, and yes, Giannis will be one of these players as his career winds on, that their legacy is largely determined by what they're able to do. There's no doubt about that. They're the best player in the team. But it's also determined with the other guys and what they can, del- can deliver in big moments. If Anthony Davis misses that shot, yeah, people are probably going to look at LeBron and they're going to blame him for the loss. That's fair enough. He's the best player in the team. But you look at the three titles that he's got, one of them came in a Kyrie Irving huge three. And another one came in a Ray Allen huge three that put them in a position to win. So LeBron's been a tremendous playoff performer. But again, it's just a reminder of the other guys and how they contribute to one becoming all of a sudden a winning player or a playoff player or a guy that can win titles. And it took these, these guys a long time to do that. LeBron certainly. And Jordan's the same. You think about Steve Kerr. I think about the Paxton shot as well. He, got, he won a couple of titles from other guys hitting big shots. So the, if they don't hit those big shots, then history is uh, very different. And I just think that's why the stupidity around, oh, Giannis can't win or he's not a playoff player. That's why it's all just so premature. You need a little bit of luck. You need the right guys by your side. And they need to come up in the big moments as well. Well, you, need, uh, you do need luck. You need those other guys. And, uh, you know, I guess if in this, it's not a safe assumption, but if we say that the Heat advanced to the finals, and mm. I agree with you that, you know, that was Denver's chance. And you just look at how LeBron played in the second half to be that close. And it felt like that was yours for the taking. And to lose that game, it's probably what you're going to look back on and say, well, that's where the series was lost for Denver. So assuming the Lakers are in the finals, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be, um, in many ways, kind of a similar clash to what they faced in Denver and facing in Miami. Now, in terms of philosophy, uh, not so much the coaching, but it goes back to, you know, we talk about depth and acquiring talent and building up the young talent on your roster. And you see the, the clash of styles and theories over what do you need? Do you need to build up that uh, the roster with the young guys that you draft and develop? Or do you go out and basically be a star chaser? You know, I've gone back and forth on it a lot, but it just seems like where the league is headed and watching that game last night just highlights how you need as many superstars as you can get that, you know, we've all criticized the Lakers roster. And even when you look at it and you see some of their bench minutes, the bench leaves a lot to be desired, but they've had a tremendous series so far from Dwight Howard. Alex Caruso has been tremendous for him all season long and last season too, but it ultimately boils down to, they have two of the five best players in the league. And when LeBron is struggling, it's Anthony Davis that you lean on. And, and, you know, you referenced the Cleveland days with Kyrie Irving, whereas with the Bucks, it's a little different. You do have an all-star in Chris Middleton, but, you know, he's not one of the five best players in the game. And you can say the same with Miami, where it's kind of similar to Denver, where it's not so much a superstar and guys, uh, you know, or 1A and 1B. It's you have some very good all-star players, but you're missing that superstar. And that's, you know, what Miami and Denver are both basically built like where it's the team concept and you see a very different approach in Los Angeles. So um, assuming that's the finals that we get where it's the Lakers and who knows if it's Miami, that's going to be interesting to see too. 
how that unfolds, because I think it's advantage coaching for Miami opposed to what you saw in Denver. Um, but this playoffs, and look, maybe it's just because of the, the bubble environment and that's really changed things. Who knows if it goes back to a different approach next year. But to me, it's really highlighted, look, it's always been a star league, but this is a superstar league where you need to acquire as many superstars as you can. It's good to have depth and it's good to have, you know, teams built like the Celtics and like uh, last year's Raptors, where you do have a number of good players you can throw out there. But ultimately, if you have the best players and if you have multiple superstars in your team, you're in the best spot and you're probably going to win that series. All right, let me jump in now and talk about our friends over at Rock Auto. Again, I, I think I've brought up my, my dad and, and his old car a number of times, but he was driving the other day and the car just literally stopped on the side of the road. And he's probably going to get some work done. I've told him before, just go to our friends at rockauto.com. It is the family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver. Get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why would you even bother spending twice as much for the same parts when you can just go to rockauto.com right now and see all those parts that are available for your car or truck right locked on? In the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. That's locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box and they will know that you came from us. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I think it's an interesting comparison to look at the Bucks and the way their contracts and the way their salary is set up because we know what they did last summer. Obviously, the extension for Bledsoe and then extension for Brook Lopez and then George Hill as well. So Milton, I want to separate from those a little bit. But you do think about the Hill, Bledsoe, and Lopez deals all around that ten to fifteen million dollar mark, give or take, like around that around that stretch. And it is interesting to just think what what is the best philosophy? Uh, these players that are on those mid contracts, or do you put that money together and try and get one guy and have a, a, a third guy? And I think now that's what the Bucks. I mean, that is literally what they're facing when we talk about. Well, how could you put something together for Chris Paul? How could you put something together for, um, I don't know, one, one of these other guys on another team, just going off some of the emails we've had, uh, CJ McCollum, whoever it might be, Bradley Bill, whatever. Those types of guys that um, aren't, you know, aren't going to be a, a genuine number one on a playoff team. They might even be marginal number twos, but certainly in that uh, 2A or 2B position on a championship team, you could see them. Uh, being that all-star caliber player. And it is it is a question. It is saying that you, because the difficult thing now for the Bucs as we continue to go through what they might do this offseason is that those guys, they're kind of hard to move with multiple years left on their deals. Um, and they're not bad deals by any stretch. Even Bledsoe, I've been on the record to say I don't think that that's a bad contract comparatively to other point guards. And if anything, I just think that it's more of a fit issue next to Giannis than... Uh, anything else. We know all the positives that Bledsoe brings to a basketball team. I mean, he's a fantastic player, but uh, ultimately he has struggled when it comes down to playoffs. And if you sign these mid-level deals as the Bucks have, uh, and you know, it's fine if you can get away with doing a one-year deal or a two-year deal, but the three and four-year deals, if it doesn't work out straight away, they can be really hard to move. And then you have to package a couple of guys together. And that's where it becomes a real challenge. And uh, that's what the Bucks are facing. 
it's basically the same thing we saw what three or four years ago too. And you go back to the summer of 16 where the Bucks went on that splurge to bring in uh, Deli and Mirza Toledovic. And then it kind of went through the period where, okay, well, this is how the roster is constructed with these contracts that it, it, you know, it was tough to find partners in a trade because of what we saw in terms of contracts, not only with the Bucks but with everybody in the NBA that summer that it felt like, those middle tiers were gone just because of how much the cap jumped that you had, you know, guys that were basically um, on exceptions were minimum type deals. And then the superstars that were getting paid or guys that were being paid much more than they should have because of the cap going up. So um, yeah. And when you look at what they did last summer, a lot of it kind of feels like that to go, you know, to what you said too about uh, the number twos and finding those, I mean, I guess it's a hill I'll die on that I, I still, and I think you feel the same way. I mean, Chris is a number two, and I think he's more than adequate at that. The problem that it seems like the Bucks ran into, and I think it was really highlighted in the Heat series, is I think you can rely on Chris and say, you know, we need you to get that bucket and he can go do it. And we saw him be much more aggressive against Miami when he had to be. The problem that the Bucks ran into in that series, and I think at times throughout the season where Chris draws the criticism, is it's the supporting cast around him and Giannis that we see the deficiencies. You know, not all the guys, but what was highlighted most is the Bucks have good players, but the asset that they're missing the most is what you touched on in the shot creation, and that's what they really missed. And, you know, Chris is a number two, but – the pieces don't necessarily fit if you don't have the right guys around him. And the fact that the Bucks were missing other guys that could create their own shot and really putting the onus even more so on Chris, I think is what may have, I don't know how I would put it, but maybe brought the game down a little bit where you start to see some of that criticism because, you know, the skill set is there and we've seen what he's been able to do individually. It's just a matter of finding other pieces around him that, you know, you touched on blood. So, well, it doesn't matter what Chris is doing. If the defense doesn't respect Eric Bledsoe to take a jumper, or they don't respect anybody else on the floor, it's going to collapse everything around him. So I, I think those two pieces and Chris and Giannis are fine. It's just rounding out the rest around them. And it's interesting because you do need a little bit of luck to get yourself out of bad situations, particularly in relation to the cap. And I had an interesting conversation with Adam McGee from uh, over at Behind the Buck Pass last week discussing some of the past decisions that have haunted the Bucks and sort of put them in this position now where uh, they did a pretty remarkable job last offseason, I thought, to be able to bring everyone back and shuffle everything around. And of course, there'll still be criticisms that you can make about the decisions they made. Uh, I'm fully aware of that. But Miami is a team that found themselves in a real halt and they, they signed some seriously bad deals. And and one of them was the Hassan Whiteside contract that I don't think anyone thought that they were going to be able to get out of. Portland then found themselves, and oftentimes it will be a smaller market that finds themselves in a situation where they want to compete. Uh, Portland clearly with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum didn't want to take a step back. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic was going to miss an extended period of time, so they did make a trade, and uh, and the Heat were able to offload Hassan Whiteside, and, and they got Myers Leonard uh, back in that deal, and Myers Leonard has been a guy that hasn't really played in the postseason, but again, he's on one of those mid-level deals, and then he's about to become a free agent, which is a great situation for Miami to be in. Uh, so they'll get off that $11 million there. And, and that has helped them to, to get in a better situation cap-wise. They've got Butler, obviously, long-term. But then uh, the decision they're going to have to make is Bam Adebayo is heading for a restricted free agency 
coming up pretty soon in another year. So it's just, you need some luck. And, and I thought that the Bucks did pretty well, particularly when you consider getting off that Dell of Dover and Henson deal uh, that they did in bringing in George Hill. That, that was a really nice move. Um, but now again, they find themselves in a position where they're kind of jammed up and they're kind of locked up. And what do you do with these guys? And I, I think it would be a brave front office and a brave GM considering the situation with Giannis to run this thing back. But uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to work the phones. They're going to have to work the phones and, and make some moves. And uh, it's a shame because I, I think that bringing these pieces back and putting them together, I don't think it was a bad move. In fact, I think it was a move that you kind of had to do based off the success last year and how close they were to the NBA finals. And it's kind of funny again, that Miami are playing so well now and potentially they could make the NBA finals and they'll probably play the Lakers and who knows what will happen in that series. But again, the Bucs have run into that matchup that has been difficult for them. And I don't think that should make you feel any better as a Bucs fan. I thought, and we spoke about this, the theory that the Bucs having a disastrous second round exit might be better for them in terms of, okay, well, let's not just run this back. It's two years in a row. We've failed with the same in the same areas in the postseason. Let's make some changes. But again, you are saying that maybe losing to the Miami Heat wasn't as disastrous as what we predicted they were. I mean, this team, the way that they're playing right now in this environment, and I do think it would have been different. I'm not saying the Bucs would have won, but I do think it would have been different if there was home court advantage. But uh, they lost to a team that was firing on a level that the Bucs just simply weren't. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up too, how um, dramatically different things looked for Miami, what, two years ago, when you think about some of the deals that they had signed, and now all of a sudden it's a team that we're talking about has, uh, I think, almost $25 million in cap space this, what, fall, whenever the offseason's going to be, and um, you know, over $40 million the year afterwards, and some of those deals where uh, you talked about Myers Leonard and the expiring deal, but... Um, Jay Crowder is expiring and you wonder too how much more you can get out of him um, Goran Dragic is an expiring deal but that's a guy that's provided a lot of value to your team but still it's not only that and what they've been able to do with the cap maneuvering Andre Iguodala you know I, I think we've we both mentioned how it's Jay Crowder not just us but everybody's mentioned Jay Crowder has been the guy that's been the difference maker in that deal um, and, and we may laugh at why Miami traded this for basically Iguodala and Crowder was a throw-in, and then you give Iguodala a two-year $30 million deal. But now all of a sudden you have an asset in a $15 million expiring contract in Andre Iguodala to use next season if you want to use that. Um, but it, it's more than that what they've done with guys like, you know, think about Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, that you're talking about $3 million total between those two guys and the contributions that you've gotten from them for Kendrick Nunn to be an all rookie type of player. And Duncan Robinson was the guy that we spent the most amount of time talking about going into the series of who worries you the most. It was Duncan Robinson that got mentioned more than anyone. So, um, you know, what they've been able to do with the lower half of the roster has been as impactful as anything that they've done, even, you know, shedding some of those bad contracts. And we talk about it being a make or miss league a lot. And I've said, you know, that extends to, your personnel moves and, you know, Miami, everything they touched these last two years has turned to gold where, you know, Jimmy Butler is basically on the same contract that Chris Middleton is on. Nobody is bringing up the same concerns they had about Jimmy Butler, at least now and what he's doing in the postseason. We talked about, you know, having Iguodala as a $15 million expiring 
uh, trade chip that they have there and some of the money that's coming off and the money that they already have, but what they've been able to do to draft and develop where, you know, it's, it's funny that we, we kind of laugh at it. And I think a lot of us rolled our eyes when you start to hear more and more of the heat aren't afraid of the bucks and the heat culture. Uh, but I think we saw it firsthand and you saw what Miami does, the coaching, the culture, and more than anything, it, it's that culture is just breeding tough guys that aren't afraid of the moment and really churning the most out of that talent at the bottom of the roster. That's been as impactful as anything for Miami these last two years. One of the interesting things about the, particularly those two guys with Hero and Robinson all, all year, I, I did wonder, I said, well, you know, in, in the playoffs, uh, how are those guys going to go? Obviously, they're untested in those situations, I have to admit. And, and it maybe it's hard to project, but I have to admit, I, I get the feeling that they probably wouldn't give a shit about playing in front of uh, fans in the postseason. They certainly don't look like they are scared of anything, and Tyler Hero in particular. I mean, Tyler Hero for sure, yeah. I mean, my goodness. That, that guy has had an incredible last few weeks, and all of a sudden now he's a he's a playmaker. He's racking up the assists as well. He's having a hell of a playoffs, and... Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, translate that through to next season, depending on whatever happens um, for the rest of the offseason for the Heat. Before we wrap this up, I, I thought it was worth talking about Darvin Ham. So we see some reports coming out about, uh, you know, coaching vacancies, and there's plenty of uh, coaching vacancies out there right now and plenty of probably pretty appealing jobs, I have to say. Uh, for coaches that are in the market, and it's Tyron Liu is obviously a name that gets thrown up a lot. Mike D'Antoni is going to be out there, Billy Donovan as well, after uh, somewhat surprisingly uh, being shown the door, coming to a, a mutual agreement, as they say, Justin, with his job out in Oklahoma City. So Darlin Ham is the guy that I think most expect will get a job next. I know Charles Lee's name, uh, name has been mentioned a little bit as well, but this morning a report came out that Darlin Ham. Uh, one of the finalists or one of the guys in the running for the Chicago Bulls job. Uh, this is one thing I will say about Mike Budenholzer, and you go all the way back to the Spurs organization where he came out. Obviously, Taylor Jenkins last year went to Memphis. Maybe another one of the Bucks' assistants heading elsewhere. I mean, two years in a row to lose your top assistant. I mean, it's certainly, and, you know, not just these last two years, but, you know, we've talked about it before too, the overall coaching tree of Bud where, you know, you, you can knock his in-game coaching, which certainly has been knocked these last few weeks, but just look at what he's done with that coaching tree and some of the guys that he's worked with, you know, um, whether it be for an extended period or that just came around along the way during some stocks, stops, guys like Quinn Snyder and Kenny Atkinson, we've seen what they've already done and now potentially two years in a row to lose your top assistant to head jobs. I think says a lot about the the coaching culture that you create, but you know, it's funny that, you know, Darvin Ham has, I think a lot of us and really last summer was where it picked up the most started to wonder, okay, well, why hasn't this guy gotten a job yet that he's been one of the top, if not the top assistant for Bud for years. And it goes back to his time in Atlanta and obviously what he did in Milwaukee. And then, you know, you wondered, okay, is Darvin Ham going to be the guy to go? And then Taylor Jenkins gets the job in Memphis. And you start to hear Charles Lee's name, as you mentioned, and you wondered too, okay, well, where does Darvin Ham fit in? And now it seems like he's, if not the top guy, as you mentioned, one of the top guys in Chicago, says a lot about what Bud has done. And, you know, everybody that you talk to, and we've had some brief dealings with him, they just think the world of Darvin Ham and the players love him. So, um, 
you know, it, it's, it's certainly, it goes hand in hand with what Bud came from, where, where we talk about the coaching tree, the pop pad in San Antonio and some of the guys that came out of there. Well, Bud is starting to do the same thing here. So, um, you know, while these season ending losses in the postseason are disappointing, that does say something about what you're building here that year after year, you're one of the franchises that are kind of getting the bones picked and coaches are leaving your coaching tree to go get head jobs somewhere else. So it's kind of interesting, and this is me looking at it from a completely different angle here, and I, I have no idea if there's anything in this at all. But Darvin Ham, as you pointed to, the players love him, everyone. I mean, <laughs> you speak to anyone in the organization, and they'll talk about Darvin Ham for, forever. They love him. He's so well-respected, so highly regarded. And you listen to the players speak about, you know, even the other week when they didn't take the floor against Orlando, Darvin Ham was a key a leader and sort of spokesperson in the locker room there speaking to guys and and uh, really capturing that moment together as a team. But when you, as I said, Taylor Jenkins, Darvin Ham potentially leaving. I do wonder, uh, Bud has been with a lot of these guys for years and years and years and years. And I, I think that we both agree that Bud's not going anywhere next season. And I think we probably would have known by now if there was something in that. So Bud will be back next year. I think that's fair to assume. I just wonder, because I've had a bunch of people send in mailbag questions about um, would the next uh, Nick Nurse or, or someone to, to that uh, extent be on this coaching staff? And I, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, I can't really answer that question. But this group has been together for a long time. I, I do wonder whether, and first of all, it's fantastic if they go elsewhere and get, and get uh, jobs and they can be head coaches elsewhere and, and uh, go off and, and do their own thing. I'm kind of not against the idea of the Bucks bringing in some different assistants, so different voices, uh, different views, um, and, and as well as the coaching staff gets along with the playing group as much as the organization, organization loves them, I'm not totally against bringing in some new views. Uh, you're saying as assistants on Bud's staff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I don't disagree. And, uh, you know, we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago too, I think once all the um, – heat was starting to build up at least from the fans on bud and that, you know, everybody keeps pointing to that of like, well, who's the Nick nurse on our staff and why can't we just do that? And there's just so many differences. Like number one, you know, Nick nurse hadn't been on that staff for a while and wasn't part of, you know, entrenched in Dwayne Casey's staff that he had been coaching the Raptors G league club and then joined the staff. And, and, you know, it's just, if that's what you were going to do and you were going to say, we're going to make a move on the coach here. And, you know, we hear good things about his assistant. So we're just going to promote one of these guys. Um, you know, think about it in your day-to-day life with any job that you take. It's still awkward. And it's going to be strange that, you know, a lot of times you don't see that happen for the obvious reason. And that these guys were part of Bud's staff or part of any coach's staff for a number of years and have that relationship with him that, well, you blow out that coach they're not that likely to say, okay, you fired my friend or you fired my mentor. I'm going to take his job and replace him. They're probably going with him to wherever he goes and leaving under different circumstances. Um, So there's that. And, you know, I think the fact that Nick Nurse was as successful as he was is kind of now everybody points to, well, we got to find the next Nick Nurse, which is, you know, well, we have to find, you know, the next Giannis. It's easier said than done. And the thing about NBA coaching, which is so tough for the average fan, opposed to, you know, the NFL or football, um, you can watch things and you know, okay, this guy is calling the defensive plays or the offensive plays, so I know what he is doing. 
we don't really know what the coaches are doing and we don't necessarily know what these guys philosophies are unless you're there in practice, which we're not, we're just there afterwards. So unless there's any, uh, you know, previous experience, or if you watch this guy in the G league and then all of a sudden he joins the staff and you have that familiarity, then sure you have an idea. Um, but we're just going off of, Hey, the, all the players love Darvin Ham and they like Charles Lee and you know, the players seem to respond to this. We have no idea what their in-game coaching is going to be like, what their philosophies are going to be like. So that's the other dangerous thing about saying, well, let's just make a promotion is you don't know what to expect that it's, it's very different to be in that seat, you know, three seats down opposed to being the head guy. So uh, that's what makes it so dangerous and tough to say, well, let's just hire this guy. And I always laugh in basketball, especially whenever there's coaching vacancies every summer, typically, and you see people clamoring for certain candidates is, you know, the fact of the matter, the reality is you and I don't really know what this guy's philosophy is unless he has already been a coach somewhere else. Otherwise we're just spouting off names that other people around the league have kicked around because they probably have a relationship with him and are saying players like this guy, this guy should be the next top guy. Otherwise basketball is so much more difficult to peg who does what than the other sports we follow. No question. This is why uh, we, we, with Frank, when we went back a couple of weeks ago and discussed all this, we thought that given the situation with Giannis, given what the Bucks are facing here in the next year, and maybe less if he signs an extension, but certainly in this next little period, I think rocking the boat as little as possible is probably the smart play. If Giannis likes Bud, if Giannis wants Bud back, then that's cool. But as I said, uh, perhaps having some other voices in there. And again, um, not assistant coaches that have been elsewhere. I'm talking some young, innovative minds, whoever that may be. I don't know who the guys are that, that would be targeted for that. Bring them in because I think the one thing that we've seen uh, from this year's playoffs is having a, a younger coach perhaps that has got some some new ideas, is willing to just try random shit. And that's honestly what they're doing. Like Nurse and uh, Spolster in particular. I mean, they, they just try stuff and they throw it out there. They're not afraid... Uh, to do that of course, across the course of a seven-game series. I think that's what the Bucks will need, and that's what they're going to have to do next season. And well, uh, from the reports, that's what they suggested that uh, the ownership is aware of. Well, let me ask you this, too. Uh, of what, I think there's six openings. What's the most attractive job out there? Uh, let me think about who we've got here that needs a coach. I, I think um, – I, I still think it's Philadelphia because yeah. I think that certainly – there's a couple of contracts there that are you know, not ideal and might be difficult to move. And I'm talking about Al Horford and Tobias Harris, obviously. But I, I still think for any coach that can take a job, you look at Ben Simmons, you look at Joel Embiid, and you say, okay, I want to at least take a crack at that. I think Mike D'Antoni with the Sixers is really, really interesting if they were willing to uh, move on from Joel Embiid. I think ultimately those two are going to get split up. But I, I do wonder about an offense with Ben Simmons running the show and Mike D'Antoni as coach. It's, it's got some interest to me. I think that they could be a dangerous team. But I still think, you know, just based on pure talent, that is the best job out there. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, I, you know, um, for the thing that people keep coming back to with Philadelphia, and you mentioned it, is, is some of those contracts. I mean, what they do have, I guess, in the positive side is they may be bad money deals, but it's still talent. And, yeah. you know, ultimately you're still going to find a team that's willing to take a chance on a talented guy. Then you are trying to package together pieces that, you know, aren't quite as talented. Maybe it's less money. Um, but if, if you have that talent, regardless of the money we've seen, there's always a GM that's willing to take a chance. 
No doubt, no doubt. It gets proven time and time again that there's no contract that is untradeable. That's why uh, when we discuss the Bucks, I think they'll be able to trade whoever they want to trade. It just depends what the deal is going to be coming back, what you have to attach with that. But they'll be able to make some moves if they need. But I just think it's been interesting. And you guys can let us know at Locked On Bucks what you're noticing from watching these playoffs. But I think it's a worth a worthy conversation to have that we've uh, just ran through here, Justin. Just uh, some of the takeaways we're getting from this because I do find it hard, even though the Bucks season is over, not to watch these games and think about the Bucks and uh, whether if they were in this situation or what things they can add or what I'm seeing from other teams. It's, it's the most fascinating thing about watching these games still uh, for me over the next uh, couple of weeks here. But uh, like I said, back-to-back, I think it's the first time. Uh, full credit to you for jumping on late at night and uh, doing this with me. I really appreciate it. I mean, it, it is it is such an honor that uh, I can't believe it's finally arrived here. Back-to-back stops on the show. Yeah, been a long time coming. And uh, just before I do wrap this up, some great sporting news for absolutely everyone that's listening to this podcast that will have a great interest in this. The Houston Astros have just lost. So the, my Oakland Athletics have just clinched the AL West. And I know that everyone will be very happy for me for that. Uh, so that's, uh, I just want to throw that out there. I had to mention that. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's good for them. Good for them. I can't believe baseball postseason, I guess, is going to be here in about a week. But we'll be back with tomorrow's podcast. Uh, I, I'm... Frank's not around, so I'm not expecting I'm going to go with the trifecta with Justin, but I don't know. Someone will be with me or I'll be just rambling on by myself. I'm not sure. We've got plenty of mailbag questions still to go. Uh, even in today's podcast, we're rolling through a few of those. A lot of the questions did overlap. So, uh, again, as I said, if we miss your question, don't, uh, don't be shy. You can hit us up on Twitter and uh, give us a little nudge. Let us know that we need to get back to that. But for Justin and myself, Kane Pittman, we will speak to you guys tomorrow.